Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a delight to be here today. Uh, when I give a speech or appear over on the hill, I never get any applause like this. So I'm <laughs> delighted to be here. <laughs> it's nice to be uh, among friends and allies and, uh, and uh, certainly a medical group like this. Before I get started with my remarks, I would like to introduce a couple people with me today. First, my wife Carol is here. <laughs> Also, some of you have met or visited with on the phone uh, in my congressional office that deals with all legislation, but in particular medical legislation, and he's the legislative director, and that's uh, uh, Norm Singleton sitting in the back here. (laughs) And uh, also with me today is somebody who has helped me with some of my uh, extracurricular activities in politics and a few other things like the Liberty Committee. Uh, he's here, and that's David James. You know, being up here and looking out here and, and looking how, how uh, beautiful the city and all looks, it reminds me of a few years back when uh, I was on the Gold Commission, and yet I was scheduled to fly to Houston for a political function with uh, President Reagan at the time. And uh, we were all supposed to meet him at... Uh, uh, Andrews Air Force Base, but I was at Treasury on this uh, commission, and I uh, wanted to attend this, so my staff talked to the White House, and they said, well, if he's going to be there and he can't leave, he can just fly out on the helicopter with, with the president. So uh, because of that, I did have a personal uh, uh, visit with, uh, with the president, and we flew out uh, and, and took off from the White House and flew out by the monuments, and I can remember what he said. He looked down, and he thought, isn't this amazing? He says, look at this beautiful city. Isn't it amazing how many horrible things come out of it? <laughs> so, uh, and, and I also remember because we, money and gold was on my mind at that time because that was at the end of the uh, consequence of the guns and butter philosophy of the 1960s. And uh, we know what kind of inflation and uh, bad economy we had in the 70s. Uh, uh, maybe not unlike what we're facing uh, today. Uh, but I did bring up the subject of uh, gold because uh, we had heard that he was favorable toward it, and I was just coming from the Gold Commission, so we talked a little bit about that. And uh, he, he revealed to me at that time that he did not think any nation throughout history that got off the gold standard remained great. So he, deep down in his heart, was a firm believer in sound money. Uh, reversing those trends, of course, is sort of like uh, if you try to reverse the trends in the monetary system in the Federal Reserve, it's sort of like trying to reverse uh, the trends of the U.S. government involved in medical care, and that is a challenge. And, uh, of course, this is the reason why I uh, favor so much this group, because uh, you understand the Constitution and you understand what free market medicine is all about, and yet don't sell out. That's what's so great. And, uh, and this is, of course, the reason why very early on I became a lifetime member of AAPS and uh, strongly support it. And I think uh, Dr. Jane Orient certainly deserves a lot of credit for the enthusiasm that you have today. Mm-hmm. 
I'm glad to see Stan Evans here is because he's been a favorite of mine uh, and he has uh, really understood what free market medicine is all about and has supported us. And I understand he uh, spoke to you today, so I'm sure he gave you a, a good message, uh, sound economic policy and sound free market medicine. And tragically, uh, we're, we're not moving in that direction. But I, I have a tentative solution on uh, what we might do to get the attention of the politician. You know, we've, we've heard recently about the problem we face with eminent domain. Matter of fact, I was just in Kentucky at uh, Western University, Kentucky, and met six or seven economists at uh, Western uh, Kentucky University that were very free market oriented uh, and very much aware of the Fee Foundation and, and uh, other organizations. And uh, the, the uh, topic there was uh, eminent domain. Uh, and I talked about eminent domain, but also uh, property, uh, property rights in, in, in general. But uh, I, I think that what they've, they're doing in New Hampshire is a fantastic idea. I was up there not too long ago, and they have uh, just subtly filed suit in order to take suitors' land under eminent domain and <laughs> teach them a lesson. <laughs> So maybe what we ought to do with all politicians who support government medicine is make sure that they can get medical care in no other ways other than Medicaid. And uh, that, might get, that might get their attention as well. But freedom of choice is something they, they don't understand. I uh, am saddened at times uh, about physicians in Congress. You know we have more now than ever. Uh, but if you look carefully, they're not exactly the greatest champion uh, of free market medicine and tend to capitulate and go along and go along with the AMA and think that the only thing that we can do now is it's in place. So why, why, why don't we just work hard and make sure you, the physicians get a higher fee? Well, uh, if, if that's our solution uh, to our problems today, you can expect that uh, free market medicine is not going to be revived. In a way, the, uh, the remnant of the physicians in this country really uh, are in this organization. And uh, the, the remnant is pretty important. Those remaining believers have to set the example. And that's what uh, so many of you do, uh, not only in spirit, but as well as in uh, practicality by not, uh, by not participating. I was uh, amazed in the Soviet, uh, how it worked in the Soviet Union, and Solzhenitsyn talked about this, that there was still free market care in the Soviet system. And, uh, and that was for the politicians. Instead of the politicians getting pushed to the bottom of the ladder and making except governments, and they always provided that one doctor, protected this doctor here or there, so the politician could walk in and have uh, more personalized uh, uh, private care. But uh, even in a system as wicked as the Soviet system, there, there was a, a great remnant. Uh, and uh, I was, I'm always amazed that you meet people coming out of Russia and, and the Soviet system after the collapse, well-educated, knew the English language, uh, knew the classics, and sometimes, you know, the underground educational system in the Soviet Union was even a bit superior to some of the public education in this country. So uh, th this is why uh, our efforts uh, in AAPS is so crucial, that uh, we, we uh, carry the banner for free markets and uh, understand the uh, necessity of having the doctor-patient relationship. If that's not kept alive, we're, we're in big trouble. 
and, uh, and, and medicine is in big trouble because uh, about the only thing they know what to do over on the hill is spend more money. Every time it gets worse, they spend more money, and then when they come up with shortages, realizing spending more money doesn't do much more than raise prices, what do they do? They talk about rationing, and, uh, and this is certainly the age that we're moving in and, and something that we all should be very, very concerned about. You know, Congress is, is rather typical on the way, way they operate. Uh, it's uh, careless uh, disregard for your money, for your lives, and your property. Uh, just as eminent domain shows no respect for private property, I think the members of Congress uh, basically show no respect either. Because it is known over in the House uh, and in Congress in general that if we provide a tax benefit to you, they always mark it down. And unfortunately, the party in power today even talks like this. Well, that's going to be a cost to government. And how are we going to pay for it? To allow you to keep more of your own money, they still call it a cost uh, to government. And it is that attitude that makes them rather careless and, and, and casual about how they spend your money. You know, a month or so ago, there was a scheduled takeoff of the uh, shuttle uh, down in Florida. And many members of Congress, since there had been the, the, uh, the tragic accident with the shuttle, uh, this was great that it was going off again. So uh, there were members that wanted to attend. And the Science Committee, uh, especially since they dealt with uh, the legislation and the funding of the shuttle. So uh, uh, they had the Congress suspend the votes. It was on a Tuesday afternoon. And all of a sudden I heard the announcement there'd be no votes that Tuesday because uh, there were the, the uh, Science Committee wanted to go and watch the takeoff. And uh, they uh, scheduled up a plane. They called the Air Force. The Air Force gets them at 730. And the committee, those who wanted to go, filled half the plane. But, but then there were other members, other members who decided they'd like to go as well. And they said, can we go along? And uh, there's a uh, sort of a class uh, structure in the Congress. And they say, no, you can't come with us. This is for the committee. So they went and got their own plane. And uh, not that many wanted to go. And they only filled that plane half up. And, uh, and then, then when there was an expression from some senators, they wanted to go as well. Uh, you certainly couldn't mix senators with, uh, with congressmen, uh, House members. So they went and got their own plane. And uh, three or four senators went and they got another 730, uh, 737, and they were uh, prepared to go. They all got in the plane. They flew down. And, uh, of course, you know what happened is uh, when they got there, <laughs> this shuttle didn't go. But that was no big deal. I mean, you just fly down there, three jets come back and uh, cause a little bit of disruption in the uh, process. That might have been the best part. They disrupted Congress for like at least six hours. <laughs> Maybe, uh, you know, that reminds me of a proposal I made once is that uh, uh, I had one that said that in the 70s, I said, the members of Congress pay should be reduced at the rate of inflation. Maybe they would learn what causes inflation. And uh, then I decided, no, I didn't get any co-sponsors, so. <laughs> so I decided I was going to do one where every member would be paid a million dollars a year. And the promise is they had to stay at home and never go to Washington. Probably be a pretty good investment. 
But on, on this flight, flight to Texas, they decided some, uh, some ornery, uh, unreasonable uh, journalist went and added up the gallons of uh, jet fuel they used. And back then, fuel was a lot cheaper. Uh, you know, it was probably a dollar or two cheaper than it is today. But back uh, then, a month or so ago, the, the fuel price of those three jets, just the fuel came out to be $73,000. And uh, that uh, uh, didn't, didn't, and they end up not even uh, seeing what they went, what they went for. But uh, Cong- Congress reacts. They, they don't have, uh, as a whole, they don't have a strong philosophy other than going where they're pushed and where the demands are. The country has a prevailing philosophy that influences Congress. And the uh, prevailing philosophy of this country is, uh, what's the government going to do for me? How's the government going to take care of me? Uh, whether it's medical care or, or providing uh, education or providing uh, uh, jobs or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> not, not that that isn't bad enough, that the government becomes the, the nanny state, but now we've taken on the world. We're to police the world and, and continue the Wilsonian dream of making the world safe for democracy, and money doesn't count. It makes no difference. Uh, and the reason is, is that uh, we have a unique uh, benefit in this country uh, in that we get to print the gold. The dollar used to be backed by gold, and there was a limit on how many dollars were supposed to be printed. But, of course, that was abused and thrown out, uh, and now there's an unlimited uh, ability for our government to print money and create credit out of thin air, which means there's no limit placed on the politician, whether it's for medical care or for welfare benefits or for policing the world. So um, we, we create the money, we run up the spending, running up the debts, and no matter what happens... Uh, fortunately, there's an anti-tax policy in Washington. That's okay. But what they don't realize is spending is a tax. As soon as we spend, it becomes a tax. Because if we don't raise taxes and we uh, borrow, we in the future have to tax people to pay off the notes. But if we do neither, if we just allow the Fed to buy the Treasury bills, which they do in a wholesale manner, they create this out of thin air, and the dilution of the value of the dollar is a tax. So every, everything is a tax. And uh, we uh, in Congress, uh, unfortunately, uh, act as if there are no restraints. And that's why if there's political pressure on the Congress to do anything, or our president to do anything, no sweat. We'll spend it. I mean, so just recently, we had this catastrophic hurricane hit New Orleans. So we did 10 without Congress in session. We do another 50 with Congress in session. Uh, there were 11 of us who voted against the uh, 50. Uh, and now, uh, <laughs> you may not clap, uh, clap, uh, clap after I tell you the consequence of those votes. <laughs> and now there's a, uh, a, a, even a bigger burden of rebuilding, uh, uh, rebuilding New Orleans. So the president proposed $200 billion. And I think we, many of us saw the editorial in the Wall Street Journal that said that if you took uh, 500,000 families uh, and gave them $400,000 each, you would finally use up $200 billion. But what do we do? We give it to FEMA, the organization everybody despises. Even my constituents are always complaining about FEMA. So, and they take 80, I think it's 80, 87% of the money comes to Washington stays in Washington bureaucrats and very little of it really helped the people. So that's what we do in, in Washington. We, we create it. And unfortunately and tragically, 
What I hear behind the scenes on what we should do with FEMA in order to further embarrass the Democrats that were running New Orleans and the state of Louisiana uh, is to show that they're a bunch of inept politicians down there. So what we need is a stronger FEMA. They need uh, ability to impose martial law. And this is the kind of thing that they're talking about now. Not only give them more money, but give them more power and martial law to enforce uh, uh, federal solutions to our problem. And the reason that there's a little bit of concern about that for me, uh, that is if I think politically, uh, which I do now and then, is um, you know that I have uh, argued the case, our case for the Constitution, for limited government, and if at best, local government, volunteer help, and all the things that America has stood for for so many years. And against this whole notion that we can just give these hundreds of billions of dollars to government agencies to solve our problem. Well, that was all fine and good, and uh, I did not have... I had some uh, uh, ramifications from, uh, uh, from voting for that. I mean, in our papers, they, they said, how could he be so calloused as not to want to help? What would happen if a hurricane ever came to Galveston, which I represent? Right now, if you look at the map of the coast, I have over 200 miles of that coast, and the center that they target, this, uh, uh, the new hurricane, is right in the center of our district. And whether it gets hit in the center or the side or whether the wind's 170 or 130, uh, we don't know that. But it will, it will be a really a political challenge. Not only that, uh, that is enough to stir uh, the, the uh, activities in the Republican Party. Uh, they, had, uh, they, were, they were not particularly uh, happy that I was there pointing out uh, a, a few errors uh, that they have made fiscally. And now with this opportunity of, of not being a strong supporter of the FEMA solution to floods, uh, this, uh, this raises a lot of questions politically, as well as uh, Democrats are now very interested in the seat. And uh, I have a new district. I have probably close to 300,000 new people that I've only represented since January. So uh, this, um, I would say in all the years uh, that I've been in politics, uh, I have uh, almost miraculously been able to uh, state my position and be as honest and upfront. And when they disagree, they say, well, at least he tells the truth. He's a fiscal conservative. He wants government small. He does what he, what he says. And I get some pluses for that. But I would say this may well be the, uh, the biggest challenge uh, that uh, I, I've ever had uh, in, in politics. So we'll see how that, uh, that turns out. But in the meantime, I'm sure it's going to uh, continue uh, this problem because uh, uh, the uh, hurricane, of course, is going to hit here in the next day or so. And, uh, and I will be going back to Texas and, and seeing uh, what we can do. A lot of people uh, have asked me, and I was asked already uh, tonight uh, in, in crowds like this, um, those who are very sympathetic with what I do, and they say, well, you know, I like what you're doing, and it's great you're there, but how in the world can you stand it? I mean, how, how do you put up with it? And uh, the, the, the one part of it is how do you survive politically, but how do you, uh, how do you survive emotionally in a, in a place like that? And the answer is very simple. I have very low expectations. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the nickname they've given me, and I, I see already my time is running out, but I could tell a few more stories. I'll tell, I just want to make one mention to the uh, name that they give me, and many of you have heard it, it is a, a Dr. No. Uh, 
now, now you, the applause has to be qualified because I really don't want to be Dr. No. My staff likes it, and you like it because you know I'm saying no to some awfully bad things. But, you know, in many ways, I like to think of our philosophy as being very positive. I'd like to be Dr. Yes for Liberty, and uh, that would solve so much of our problems. But uh, to be up here, it is Dr. No, it is to say no and try to stay uh, and stand firm on the principles. So far, so good. I've been able to, because somebody did a study not too long ago, and he did this as a research study, and he looked at all the votes between um, year 2000 and 2004, and uh, found out that uh, uh, there were 126 times that I voted all by myself. And uh, this, this means that, uh, in, in, in other people, uh, p- people in groups like this will come up and say, you know, you're really the best congressman. We really like you. But just remember, the competition isn't all that great, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, I am I'm very delighted uh, uh, to be here today. And uh, I just want to finish up, and I don't know whether we're going to try to get questions or not, mainly because of the time. But I wanted to... Um, finish with a quote from uh, Samuel Adams, who is uh, one of my favorite uh, founders, uh, because he talks about uh, uh, the benefit of the small numbers. And Leonard Reeve was always talked talk about this. Uh, you know, it isn't a 51% game. It's, it's leadership and it's the views. So though our numbers in AAPS are small in number, it's the fact that we represent the right position is the most important. And that view is eventually going to prevail if this country prevails as a free nation. So we want to always legalize freedom of choice. I have various pieces of legislation which I can't get into right now because of time. But they're basically uh, uh, in, in, in the direction of allowing free markets to develop, like uh, the savings accounts that just allow people to get out of the system, uh, legalizing competition. And uh, Samuel Adams said, it, it does not uh, take a majority to prevail, but rather an irate, tireless minority, keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. And uh, that is the key to it, uh, the ideas of liberty. Uh, all political action, as far as I'm concerned, should be designed for liberty because the solutions come out of liberty and freedom. The market produces. So if we do not prevail, it is the failure of our ability to present the, uh, the views on liberty. But this is where I am an optimist. I think back about uh, the Fee Foundation and Leonard Reed because there was a time when that was the only organization that was providing any good information for me. But now there are dozens of organizations. There's the Internet and some occasionally good talk show hosts around the country. So we do have the communication ability now that we didn't have before. What we can't do is let our guard down. And even if medicine gets worse before it gets better, we have to prevail and we have to stick with defending the principles of the free market in general and how it provides the best medical care in any place in the world because we've had the best medical care in the world and we've had the freest system. We have to defend that cause. There is no reason why we can't prevail. And I thank you very much.